HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $194 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. If you want to know more about membership, visit specialtyfood.com. While on the site, check out the new Maker Prep course, a 12-step online program that will teach you how to take your specialty food product to the next level. In each podcast episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, Julie Gallagher, Director of Content Development at the Specialty Food Association. We're so happy to bring you today's episode and also so pleased to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Our guests today are Steve Muir, Vice President of Sales and Operations for Lewis Road Creamery, and Lynette Mann, Co-Founder and Director of Marketing and Communications at Lewis Road Creamery, maker of a 10-star certified salted butter that was named 2023 Sophie Product of the Year Award winner at SFA's Summer Fancy Food Show in New York City. Welcome, Steve and Lynette, and congratulations on winning this prestigious award. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Great. Um, so can you start off, maybe Lynette, um, and tell me about Lewis Road Creamery, where it's based, and how it came to be? 
Okay, so um, Lewis Road Creamery is a premium dairy company right over the other side of the Pacific Ocean in New Zealand. Um, and uh, it, it started, my journey started with my husband um, and three other directors with uh, a brand called Southern Pastures. Um, so we purchased, uh, with the help of um, some overseas pension fund money, uh, a group of 19 farms. And so our journey started back at the, the soil and the farms, and then we purchased, um, and that was back in 2013, and then we purchased uh, the existing brand of Lewis Road Creamery about uh, six years ago. Okay, great. And for listeners who may not know, um, I mentioned the Sophie Win. So that competition is only open to specialty food association member companies who submit their products for consideration into one of 50 plus categories. Um, and Lewis Road Creamery's Butter was among the very top scorers who won gold awards. And then hundreds of buyers tasted the top five scores, including your butter, at the fancy food show. Um, and of course, your product was declared product of the year. Can you talk a little bit about um, how that win may have helped your company during the fancy food show and maybe after it as well? Yeah, sure. I think for me, one thing I wanted to point out and something that we're very proud of is the fact that this, our salted butter um, did win the, the product of the year award and that it has just two simple ingredients and it's just cream and salt. Um, and that really goes back to everything that takes place on the farms. Um, one of the key points of difference that we have at uh, Lewis Road Creamery and our Southern Pastures Farms, they're all regeneratively farmed and that really came through I think in the in the flavor and the texture of the butter, and that's why you know I think we you know we received such high scores. Just the simplicity of the product. Um, it was mm -hmm. great to receive the award at the show because we certainly had people coming by at the booth um, congratulating us. It's amazing how quickly the news spreaded, um, and it's very well obviously very well regarded. So there was a lot of congratulations at the show, and then beyond the show, it's just been really nice for us to be able to you know include in our pitch to potential customers and to communicate to our existing customers that the product they've got on shelf or that they, we hope they will have on shelf um, is a product that's been recognized with that award. So it's, you know, it's just, it's a really nice um, award to have and something that we're incredibly proud of. Even the approaches from um, great restaurants uh, and chefs, uh, Michelin chefs, you know, are getting behind this product. And I, I'm sure that's you know, because it's got the um, the awards attached to it, which is fantastic. Um, I was reading on your website that you're starting a butter revolution. <laughs> um, what what does that mean for consumers like me? And when did you um, introduce your product to the U.S. market? Uh, it was introduced about five years ago now. Um, and okay. it's been a slow creep um, through stores. Um, initially starting in, was that Era One, I think? In Central Market. In Central Market. Yeah. Um, and then Whole Foods have taken it on as well. I guess the thing with butter is not all butter is the same. Um, okay. It does go back, as Steve mentioned, right through to how it's farmed how much grass is given to the animals, the fact that the animals 
um, the cows are out on fields, rotationally grazed um, all year round. Uh, that's night and day because they are in the um, an area in New Zealand where we can keep them outside all year round. Um, so therefore, not all farms are the same, even in New Zealand. Uh, we farm also for soils, um, and that again comes through, believe it or not, into the butter. So. I think starting the butter revolution is the fact that it goes right back to how we farm for globally, for the world, for the good of the world. Uh, we, we're burying carbon into our soils. We're keeping the poop within the loop. So um, it's all about keeping, um, you know, the soils enriched naturally. And, and the more we do that, the more multi-species we have within the fields, the better it is for our planet um, and the biodiversity. So I guess that's that's what we're saying about the butter revolution is it goes way past just the taste, but it is it, it ends up in the flavour of the butter as well. Yeah, I, I do as many in-store demos as I can, and one of the things that I'm incredibly proud of is that when customers come up and they taste the butter, and I'm not being arrogant about this, but they say to me, this is the best butter that I've ever tasted in my life. You know, and, and again, it just comes down to what Lynette's saying is what happens on the farms comes through in the butter. So it isn't just butter. It's just a butter that has had a lot of thought put into the farming process and the production, and uh, it comes through in the in the finished product. like a delicious butter. Um, and, and it's so great that you have this um, sustainable message to back it up. And I think I read somewhere that you're changing your packaging, maybe to tout um, some of your certifications on it. Is that correct? Yes, the packaging change has taken place. So all product and market at the moment is the new packaging. And we, we are very proudly wearing a message on our sleeve. Okay, so tell me what, um, what a consumer will see when they maybe approach the packaging for the first time. Sure. So they're going to see our Lewis Road Creamery brand um, and outside of the brand are all of the um, regenerative and sustainable and climate change mitigation claims that we make. So, um, you know, 365 days grass fed, um, rainwater fed farms, climate change mitigation, uh, non-GMO. So we just, they will see all the claims in a, in a, a green um, printed font around the outside of the, of the Lewis Road Creamery logo. But not, but not just um, around, we've also got a little branded logo trust mark on there, which we have independently certified. So instead of just one uh, attribute being on that, like, for example, non-GMO, um, we've got 10 that that little badge holds. And, um, and that's where it comes into being the 365 days pasture raised, the um, 19, above 99% grass-fed. Uh, so those are all, uh, we, we started the certification in terms of we wanted, we couldn't find one around the world that actually incorporated all of these amazing attributes. So we created our own and then gave it across to a, a certification body to um, accredit and audit what we do. Um, and so that's completely independent um, and this is where New Zealand is one of the oh, the most trust, uh, trusted, I think, to do business in the world. So, you know, it is it is hand on heart. Absolutely, I can defend absolutely everything we say. 
That's the 10 star certified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, part of the, the product's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so again, um, you know, part of those 10 things are the 365 days pasture raised and virtually 100% grass fed. So it's above 99%. Uh, five freedoms in animal welfare plus a, a whole bunch of other amazing things. Um, which is above the welfare standard in New Zealand, which is already high. And then we are GMO-free, and that's completely 100% GMO-free. We do climate change mitigation, which is introducing um, little dung beetles to help with taking the dung right down into um, the surface of the earth so that we can, um, so that the multi-species that we plant, the root systems have fertilised down deep, Um, It can retain far more water within the soils, um, which helps obviously with droughts, but it also helps in terms of, you know, um, maybe this is part of the answer to climate change on a a grander, bigger scale. Um, We do lots of environmental sustainability. We have our own um, beehives, for example. We have lots of uh, hundreds and hundreds of plants that we have um, planted plus left Areas that we regenerate, We've, um, we do palm-free and tallow-free feed, um, obviously because most of it's grass. We're growth hormone-free and we, we do have antibiotic stewardship, so we have less antibiotics than the EU organic certification, but we actually do believe in saving a life every now and again when we need to. Wow. So you have such a high bar. Um, the farms that supply your company, were they already upholding these high standards or is that something that you worked with them to achieve? Uh, no, they weren't, but we own the farms. So this is okay. why we are able to make sure that the standard fits to every single farm. Um, so they are our farms, um, which is fantastic. And the farms we have, generated, we so. have families on those farms that look after it, but it's all farmed to the system. Okay. Um, tell me about some of the logistical challenges you face in, in, you know, shipping a perishable product so far from where it's produced. Yeah. To be honest, the logistics, the international logistics are probably the easiest part of the equation uh, because we, <laughs> we, once the butter is um, produced and packaged, it is frozen down. Um, everything comes across frozen um, into frozen okay. storage in the US and then we either ship directly to um, independent retailers or we're shipping via distribution into uh, the US market. So, um, you know, it certainly adds a little bit of complexity and certainly cost to the product. Um, but mm-hmm. really, the uh, that's probably the least of our of our challenges is getting it into the US market. And what other international markets is your butter in? Uh, we're in Singapore. Um, we are throughout some um, places in Asia. We've been um, into Australia, and we're just heading over to the UK market, hopefully. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about the premium butter space? Um, and maybe, you know, is it a crowded space? Um, talk a bit about that. Sure. It, look, it's it definitely is a crowded space, and it's relatively small. So we really have to fight Um uh, pretty aggressively and pretty hard to, to gain the space that 
we're seeking and also you know the, the cost to maintain it is certainly challenging um, I think again the advantage that we do have where we find placement and we'll get Lewis Road Creamery into people's mouths is that we do get a, a great percentage of repeat customers and loyalty to the brand. So, you know, our challenge is just to get um, our retail buyers to to give us a chance and put us on shelf. And then once we've got product in their customers' mouths, we find that it gets quite well established um, and, uh, you know, helps us maintain that placement. You know, we, we're also, we're a premium price or I'd say a super premium price product because of the, the costs of production and the costs that go into the inputs and in, on the farm. So, you know, we, we are priced um, higher than other premium brands in the market, but, you know, we're proud of that because it's, it's not like we're making a lot of money out of it. It's about the costs and the care and attention that go into the production of the butter. Um, and I think if, you know, Truth were to be told, a lot of products on market probably should be a lot more expensive than what they are, um, but uh, they don't have the same sort of farming standards than that what we really, as I said, put onto our sleeve. And I guess part of that, um, Julie, is the the fact that we do pay our, um, we do make sure the people that work on our farms get paid. Each and every single person gets paid, and generally housed as well. Um, in beautiful houses on the farms. So they are paid the living wage, which means that they can have their own existence as well. They're there because they want to be, you know, to be there and work on the farms. Um, yeah. And you've had farmers there since the start of the company, oh, right? They, absolutely. They've been loyal to the company because the company's been loyal to them. And I'm actually down in New Zealand at the moment and we're visiting farms while I'm here. And to meet the farmers and see their passion, um, not just for farming, but for working for Southern Pastures and Lewis Road Creamery. It just shows that they're, you know, the company is doing the right thing by, by, by the environment, by the animals, by the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just really does come through from the way the farmers talk and how passionate they are. That's great. Do you find it? Do you find that um, a challenge to get in front of buyers and to um, have them taste the product? It sounds like that's kind of a um, a necessary part of the equation, having them taste the product. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Look, absolutely. It's always a challenge to get in front of buyers, um, especially post-COVID. Obviously, through COVID, it was near impossible. And Mm post-COVID, I think a lot of buyers have maintained that, you know, the the distance um, from a lot of manufacturers because adding a new product to your set adds a lot of complexity to their operation. And, you know, quite often they're struggling with staffing. Um, and if their category is performing okay, then, you know, why should they bring a, another product in and a, and a premium price product in? So it is definitely a challenge. Um, I think the advantage that we have or something that works to our, our advantage is that when we do become quite well established with a, a really nice independent or a nice regional chain, then we can take that data and send it through with part of our pitch to the next customer. So at least they can see that they're not having to necessarily pioneer the brand. It's got some nice data behind it to show that it is going to add value to their set. So, you know, not certainly not easy, um, and it's a constant day-to-day struggle. Um, yeah. And we have that we have that um, in New Zealand as well with the brand. Even I mean, we are the premium brand of choice for, for the whole of New Zealand, and this is a dairy country. So, um, you know, that is what we want to take, you know, to other places in the world as well where it comes back to the provenance. So now you have the, the salted butter and the unsalted butter. What are your other products? And 
is the salted butter your best seller? Yes, it is. Um, at the moment, we do just have the two SKUs in the US market. We're certainly um, looking at a, a, a you know, at a number of um, NPD options, but we really want to focus on the our salted and unsalted butter because we've got, just got so far to go to get that established. We're a very, very young brand, um, you know, and we need to prove our prove our case, <clears throat> prove our place in the market, and then once the brand has some really good, strong recognition, then we're hoping to bring in some NPD. And um, our buyers at some of our stores are asking what we're going to bring through, but right now we just can't can't commit to anything until we uh, until we know what's what's viable for the market. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we're almost out of time, but before you go, we'd like for you to participate in our final segment called Take 5, where we pose five questions to our guests. But first, let's pause for a break. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Here are your five questions for our final segment, Take 5. What is your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? Sure. I think, hands down for me, it's the people that I'm talking to, um, the clear passion that they've got for the products that they're presenting and selling and the passion they've got for their business. Um, there's such a remarkable difference between walking into an independent or specialty food store versus walking into grocery. And I just, I love the fact that when you're talking with people, you really sense that passion coming through. Um, and just the pride, you know, I mean, it's, it's not an easy, the specialty food market, it's not an easy one. And people are doing it because they're passionate about what they do. And I, I just love that. Mm -hmm. And what's one thing that the Specialty Food Association has made easier for you as a specialty food business Sure. I, yeah, that's pretty easy for me. It's, it's about networking um, and exposure. And I go back, gosh, 20 years when I participated in my first um, was a winter fancy food show. And I had all these grand ideas for what I was going to do with the brands that I was bringing into New Zealand. And in, in a nice way, I had people just laugh at me. Um, because they knew about the US market and I didn't. Um, and But they were very open at sharing knowledge and sharing ideas and making suggestions. And it just helped me understand how complex this market is. And without participating in shows like that, I, I would have continued to struggle for, for years. So, yeah, the networking, the knowledge, the exposure is fantastic. Okay. And if you weren't involved in a specialty food business, what would you be doing? 
Like I certainly, I, for me, I don't have the skill set to do it, but I would like to be a regenerative farmer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and if, cause I just, I just love it. I love what I see the farmers doing and what they're doing for the environment and for our, for our food system. Um, I would also, I would love to be some sort of environmental educator and maybe a, a you know, a, a sensitive and a little bit of sensitive and, and sensible activism or environmental law. I just think it's something that's desperately needed in in America and in probably most countries around the world. Yeah, it seems like very fulfilling work. Yeah. Um, what's the one piece of advice you'd give a new food business? Um, I think go narrow and and deep. Like you know, really pick the product that you're proud of. And just focus on, you know, finding the niche and really working hard to get established in that niche. Don't don't spread yourself too thin um, and just prove the model um, because it's just so easy to get distracted in different directions. And I think you've just got to really stand by your beliefs and, and eventually, you know, it's going to take some time potentially, but it's just it's worth the effort. Mm-hmm. And how do you define specialty food? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think especially food, I think, is an essential part of our of our system in the US because it gives, I think, you know, manufacturers um, an opportunity to get products established, you know, with without having incredibly deep pockets, and it also gives consumers the opportunity to try new products rather than just not having a choice. So I think. Um, I think it's critical because otherwise we're, you know, we've got no option but to go to conventional grocery where the choices are limited and dominated by massive brands. And it's just an amazing experience to go into a specialty food store and see what, you know, backyard producers and small, you know, startups are doing and trying new products and, and hearing their stories and understanding what they're doing for the environment. And so it's, a, it's essential for choice. I'm so, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Stephen Lynette and to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast, is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.